Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're in a series I've entitled Know Your Why. And we need to, as, as individuals, we need to know our purpose. There was a, a New York Times best-selling book by um, business author Simon Sinek years ago, Start With Why, talking about we have to know why we're doing what we're doing in order for us to really be able to do the best we should be and really to find our purpose. And we're talking uh, this month of January about our church's four-part purpose. Why do we exist as a church? Why as believers are we still here? And so that's where we're at, and that's where we'll continue this morning. We still have another Sunday or two in this series, and then we'll jump back into our verse-by-verse series through the book of Genesis. How many of you have ever seen a lion in the zoo? You've ever seen a lion in a zoo? Let me see. Probably most of us, right? Majestic, beautiful animals. You can run right up to the glass and kind of knock on the window and try to get their attention. And because it's in a zoo and you're behind a fence or behind a window, there's no fear there. And it's awesome to see a, a lioness, but especially a male lion. I, I just thought of it right now. I didn't think of it in preparation. But years ago, we were doing some filming for a youth conference in our church in Northern California, and we went to this place that had all the anim- many of the animal actors um, for movies and things. The MGM lion was one of their lions, that one that's on that. Uh, Mufasa was a lion. They, u- they used that lion to draw for the Lion King, and they had this giant African lion. And they brought it out, and it was, I won't take the time for the story, it, it actually escaped while we were standing there and was running around, and we were right there, but um, I stood with a, an African male lion right here, literally like, like six, um, not six feet, like a foot and a half right behind me, and uh, we took a, a group picture with this. There's something amazing about seeing that beautiful animal, but especially when you can trust it's either in a zoo or supposedly is trained and, and is okay to be around people. But let me ask you this, how many of you have ever seen a lion in the wild? Not behind the glass or in a zoo, but in maybe on a safari somewhere in Africa or something of that nature. A totally different experience. In 2019, our church took a missions trip to Tanzania. At the end of the trip, on the last day or two, we went and stayed in a, in a uh, game reserve, and, and we went on a safari, and uh, the Kroskis, who are back here, and uh, me and my uh, two oldest boys, we got on a safari vehicle. I think we have a picture of that, and uh, we all got on this safari vehicle with the Kroskis in there, and, and Titus and TJ and me, and we were getting ready, and the rest of our group were in other vehicles, and we were all going out together in different spots. And it was awesome. We saw little monkeys running, and it was beautiful and, and fun, and, and then we saw giraffes, and we saw zebras, and we saw elephants, and everybody was having a great time. We were laughing and making jokes and seeing all of these things, and, and then uh, all of a sudden we saw hippos and, and, and a big giant snake, and, and everybody's having a good time, but literally everything changed in our spirit and in our feelings when our driver saw this giraffe from the road. He saw this giraffe from the road, and he said, he said, he stopped immediately from the road, and, and he said, that giraffe, look at how he's looking. I said, yeah, what's he doing? I don't, he's just looking. He said, no, he sees a lion. There's a lion. 
And, and we were further away from it at this point when he first told us. He said, do you see the lion? I said, no. He said, it's right over there. I said, no, I can't see it. And so he said, do you want to go drive up closer to it? And I guess it's a big fine if you go off of the main road in the game preserve. And, and I didn't know that. And he's the driver, and he's the one who has to pay the ticket. So he asked, I said, well, yeah, I guess. And he looked around. He said, do you, I don't see any park rangers. He drives, and he drives closer. And, and he said, do you see the line? I said, I don't see it. And some of you, I've seen some of you have spotted it already. If you haven't, the next picture will help you see the lioness. There it is right there. And our car was right there, and there was this lioness in the grass. We were further back and blended right in with the grass, and we couldn't see it. And as soon as we saw that, the car got quiet. And this wasn't even a big male lion. This was, and we all, and everything was still kind of fine while the lioness just kind of looked back at our car, looked kind of back at, who are these guys coming into my house? And, and then uh, all of a sudden our driver, remember this Stephen Carroll, he tried to start backing up and we were stuck in the rut. We couldn't move our car all of a sudden because we weren't supposed to be there anyways. And then to our surprise, the lioness decides to get up and started slowly stalking and walking and didn't walk away from us, literally walked right around and then locked eyes. I felt like with me, maybe it was with Steve or Carol, but locked eyes with our car, and it was that open-air safari vehicle. Other people had ones with sides and windows on there. We didn't. And I'm thinking, this lion, if it wants, jumps in and has lunch right here. Where it's a six-piece six pack nugget right there in the safari car. And, and he, he starts to stalk, and, 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 and so we find all of that. My heart was racing my, as he locked eyes with me. My, my life flashed between my eyes. I'll show you a, a, about a 20-second video just to, so you can see how close it was, and you can see that moment where he kind of locks eyes with us and is walking literally from here to that pew by our car. And I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, but at the 10-second mark, you hear one of our four boys say, I'm scared, Dad. <laughs> I don't know if it was Max, Cole, Titus, or TJ. None of them are going to admit to who it was. But one of them, and you don't hear me or Steve say anything else because guess what? I was scared too. <laughs> I was probably more scared than they were. We'll go ahead and show that 20 second video there. So he's stalking his prey, which was us. I need you to get the views. Maybe I've, watched, maybe I've watched too many YouTube videos or when animals attack, but as he went behind the bush, I got even more scared because now I couldn't, or her, she went behind the bush. I couldn't see her anymore, and I, I had this picture. She was just going to come leaping out of the bush into our car. Why do I tell you this story? In one place in Scripture, what does the Bible liken Satan to? In 1 Peter, we hear this admonition from Peter. He says, be sober, be vigilant, be on guard, be serious, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring what? As a roaring what? Lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who are the prime targets for lions for prey? When we were in Africa, I asked our safari guide about this, and here's what he said. He said, the lion will look for one of three types of animals. These are what the lions look to devour. He said, first of all, the lion will look for the young. They'll look for the young, be, and this is, why, uh, this is why mothers so fiercely protect their children. He'll look for the young. He said, secondly, uh, the, the lion will look for the wounded. 
those that are hobbling or limping, those that are wounded. And he said, third, the lion will look for the isolated. Those that are away from the strength of the the pack, the pride, they're away from the strength of their group, they're away from that. And I began to think as he told us that on that day in the African plains, as he told us about that, my mind went to this verse about uh, be sober, be vigilant, vigilant. It's a hard word on a Sunday morning. Be vigilant for your adversary, your enemy, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I thought, you know what? type of Christians does Satan often seek to attack the young? A believer that gives his life to Christ will often face some really difficult, challenging moments early on and and to shake that faith and and the young. And you know who else is, 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 is is a target, I believe, for Satan's attacks? Often the wounded. Those who have been hurt by, by church, maybe, or hurt by spiritual leaders, or hurt by another believer, or just hurt by someone else, and they begin to get disillusioned and disenchanted, and they begin to think, well, I gave my life to God, and then this pain came into my life, and maybe it wasn't worth it. I think I'll walk away. The wounded, be very careful when you've been wounded in life. It's a dangerous time for us spiritually. And then I thought about it. Who else does he, does he attack? The isolated. Those that get away from the strength that God established in the New Testament that He intends for the believer, the strength of a spiritual family, the strength of a church family, the strength of other believers. He will attack the young, the wounded, the isolated. I saw this meme a while ago with this idea. It said, if I'm a Christian but I don't need the church, was a photo. What is it? It's a young zebra isolated from its family, and it makes it easy prey for the enemy. Where am I going with all of this? If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Acts in chapter number two. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you're following along on your phone or tablet, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Acts in chapter number two, we've been talking over the last few weeks about knowing our why as a church. Why do we exist? Why are we here? And we talk, let's see if we can remember our fourfold purpose as a church. Uh, Two Sundays ago, we said uh, purpose number one, point number one, why are we here? What was Jesus' last commission? We are here to do what with the gospel, church? To share the gospel. We're here to share the gospel. We're not just here to be a religious country club entertaining one another. We've re- if we've received the gift of salvation from God, from Jesus Christ, He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He said in Acts chapter number one, as he was ascending back into heaven, he said, and ye shall be witnesses of me. I'm leaving you here to tell everybody you can. That's why Liberty Baptist Church exists, not just to build nice buildings, not just to hear some beautiful songs, not just to enjoy some fellowship. We're here to share the gospel. That was two weeks ago. And then last week, after we get saved, what's the purpose of the believer? What does God want for us, and why does the church exist? Number two, we're to do what in the gospel? We're to grow. Grow in the gospel. We talked about our diet last week. Our diet, spiritually speaking, our spiritual food, we're to grow. God wants us growing, but grow in grace. The Apostle Paul said, I've not attained. I haven't arrived. I, I want to keep growing in my knowledge and in the grace of God. And then number three, we're going to look, our third, uh, the third part of our four, fourfold purpose as a church, the third part is we want to see believers connect through the gospel, building godly community. 
God intends the church to be a place where we build deep, lifelong, impactful, life-changing relationships. And this is in Scripture, we'll get there in a minute, you'll see it in the early days of, of the gospel going forward as they were sharing the gospel, you'll see that connection through the gospel. In American culture, our, our ideas of hospitality and community and relationships are very different from much of the rest of the world. For those that have traveled in some other parts of the world, you know what I'm talking about. Western society and American culture in general has very different ideas of relationship, of community, of hospitality than much of the rest of the world does, especially the Eastern world, which is the context where Scripture was written, where, where, where we see what was happening here. Let me prove this to you that we have a very different idea on community. When was the last time you had a fellow church family into your home for a meal or fellowship that lasted for hours? When was the last time you were in a fellow church family's home for hours together? We're going to see it here. As soon as they were saved, you know what the Bible says? They were breaking bread daily from house to house. They were in each other's homes. They were, they were growing together in community immediately. How many of you, and this is convicting for me as well, how many of your immediate neighbors have been to your home for a meal? How many of your neighbors have you been to a meal in their home? In American culture, we live very isolated lives with unwritten rules and invisible walls keeping everyone out of our personal lives. We don't want anybody to knock on our door. We don't want anybody to stop by uninvited. We live our lives in our little box, and you leave us alone. That's, that's American culture by and large. Our missionary, who's now in heaven, went to heaven, um, through, was really martyred for his faith last year in the Middle East, lived, living in, in, the, uh, in the city of Baghdad. And he would tell me that often there, as he ministered in Iraq, he would tell me that we would meet strangers at a store, and we'd begin to, to talk, and, and they would say, oh, we want you to come to our home, or we would stop to drop a box of dates off um, uh, to, to a family just to stop by and say, we want to bring this gift. And they would say, oh, please, you must come in. And it was very, very rude if you did not take their invitation. And he said, if they invite you over for a meal, just be ready. It's not going to be an hour, and then you're going on your way. It's going to be five or six hours. It's going to be your whole evening, afternoon and evening. You're going to be there around each other. When was the last time you or I just showed up unannounced at a friend's house and were invited in to spend hours together? That doesn't happen. When was the last time we spent an hour in prayer or Bible study or conversation with a fellow believer outside of scheduled church services or ministry times? Here's the reality, and we just have to understand this. This is just our culture. It's who we are. America celebrates independence. I think you're aware of it. We have a whole declaration about it. We celebrate independence. I can make it on my own. We celebrate individualism. We love stories of self-made men. We teach that we should look out for number one. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, so you've got to take care of yourself. The lone wolf is a celebrated figure in American society. It's lonely at the top is an aspirational idea. The, it means the more successful I am, the less people I will have in my life who I can trust. It's lonely at the top, meaning the, the, the more successful my life gets, the less community I'm going to have, and that's just a reality of life. That is foreign to what we see in New Testament Scripture. This mindset that is foreign to much of the rest of the world, where they strongly value their tribe, their family, their community, and they live for one another and the greater good, not for self. We are an isolated culture. Much of the rest of the world is a communal culture. 
That mindset of isolation is definitely foreign to the pattern of the church in the Bible and the life that Jesus lived and told his followers to live. But unfortunately, our isolated, independent mentality has made its way into our Christianity. Let me say that again. Unfortunately, our isolated, independent mentality has made its way into our Christianity. We view discipleship as a 13-week course that you do and get a certificate and pass. Jesus viewed it as a lifelong lifestyle that you grow together and learn together, where we share every aspect of our lives with fellow believers, teaching them what God has taught us and showing them how to live their lives. We challenge believers to have their personal daily devotions. Read the Bible on your own. I did that this morning. We, we challenge people to grow in personal study. We come to church and we sit in, with our immediate family and we sing songs that talk much about our personal experience. What was the first song we sang? And I loved our songs this morning, all of them pointing to Jesus, the choir and all four congregations. What was our first song this morning? Oh, how I love Jesus. We sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and in Christ alone, my hope is found, and here I am to worship, and Jesus loves me, and Lord, I lift your name on high, and my hope is built on nothing less. We talk much about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of this, but I think you'll agree with me as we get into the Scripture that many of us are missing the interdependent community that Christ designed the church to be. The followers of Christ from the very beginning were a team, a family, a community. Twelve men who left everything to follow Christ and do everything together. What did they say? Lord, teach us to pray. And what did Jesus say when he taught them to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And I want to remind us in this message this morning that Christianity was never intended to be lived in isolation. It was meant to be lived in community. And in many ways, the American church has become a consumer experience that we come in, we get our services, our kids get their entertainment in their kids' class, we hear a feel-good message, we sing a couple feel-good songs, and we go on our way never, never interacting with anybody from our church family for the next 165 hours. And then we see them again next Sunday morning for an hour and go through our consumer transaction again. What does the Bible talk about? Iron sharpening iron. Paul told Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, which shall be able to teach others also. Do you see the plural there? I want you multiplying in relationship, in discipleship. He talked about those things in the, in the New Testament. Do a study of it. All the one another's. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Edify one another. Be, rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Bear ye one another's burdens. The Christian life was intended to be a community life. The Christian life is a very personal pursuit, but it is not supposed to be be an individual pursuit. Acts chapter number 2, let's look at our text, you're listening well. Acts 2, verse number 41. Acts 2, verse 41, would you read it aloud with me if you're there, if you have, if you found your place there in Scripture? Acts 2, so, but for context, I won't spend a lot of time here understanding what's happening. Jesus has just ascended, Peter has preached at Pentecost, there have been thousands of people that have been saved. Then it says, verse number 41, right after Peter preaches at Pentecost, there's a giant feast happening in Jerusalem with people with all different people groups and languages. Um, it says in verse 41, would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Do you see the, the pronouns there? They were added to them. There was a group, and then that group grew, and they were added to them. It wasn't, and he, when he was saved, continued to grow in Christ. It was they, when they received the word, were added to them. They were added to a church family, to an ecclesia, a called-out assembly. And look at verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed, look at this, verse 44, were what church they were, and had all things common, and sold their possessions there in goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And do you see it again? They continuing daily with one accord in the temple. There it is, one accord. We'll talk about that tonight at 5 o'clock. And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That doesn't mean individually. That means they had unity. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And look what happened here when, it, when, when unity came, when community came, the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily, such as should be saved, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together, do you see that? Together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. The early church example here is one that is so foreign to us today. We say we're a church family and all across America, we love that idea, but I'm afraid, myself included, we fail to live it far too often. We have superficial relationships where God intended deep relationships. We share external platitudes with others when God intended for us to share internal pain and passions and pursuits with others. We can attend a church for years without ever truly inviting someone into our real lives. I've talked with people sitting in this very room that have attended uh, churches or a church in Orange County, different ones, for a decade and never personally met their pastor. That is not the plan, the model for what God wants. We're to be not just consumers in a, in a corporate religious agency. We're to be a community, a family in a church body. We're to share our struggles, our victories, our highs, our lows, our joys, our tears. God wants us to connect through the gospel. And by the way, that is what connects believers. It's the gospel of Christ. Look around you. You have people of different ages, different stages of life, different marital statuses, different education levels, different financial levels, different countries of, of birth, different societal uh, upbringings, different likes and gifts, and all of the above. What brings us together? The thing that is supposed to bring us together is our unity around the gospel of Christ. That's what Peter was preaching earlier in chapter number two. It's not the political party that we voted for that brings us together. It's, it's not our income bracket. It's not the neighborhood we live in. We find as believers our unity around the truths of the gospel of Christ. I want to show you, and I'll, I'll try to go quickly, kids, you're listening, awesome. I want to show you what happens in a biblical gospel community where we are connecting as God intended from this passage. I want to show you what God wants, I believe, what God wants for us here at Liberty. Number one, we see in this passage, spiritual growth. What happens when you plug into, truly plug into a, tr a true gospel community? Number one is spiritual growth. Do you see it? In verse number uh, 
uh, 42, and they, after they were saved, verse 41, they were saved and baptized. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. It was something that was a priority in their lives in the apostles' doctrine. We learn together in a, in a Bible church. We study together. We worship together. We sing together. We pray together. We have questions and we find answers together in God's Word. We doubt together and we trust together. We share what we are learning and what we've been taught. We pray for one another. Spiritual growth, the last three words of verse 42, they continued in prayers and in prayers. We know what is going on in each other's lives and we lift each other up. This morning on the way to church, I called Margaret Park, a dear now widow, her husband been passed away a week ago Monday. They're the last remaining charter members that are members still actively attending in our church from 46 and a half years ago. And, and we sent flowers, and the day he passed away, I was in her home. Why is that? I'm not saying that to boast, and we haven't done nearly as much as we should have for that family. But, but why is that? We're supposed to be there for each other. We're a family. It's not just a religious consumer transaction where you hear a spiritual TED talk, and I entertain you, and you go home and tell your friends, wow, that, that Pastor Ryan guy, he's funny, or he's interesting, or he's this, or he's that. No, we're to be growing together. Growing together, we connect through the gospel. Number two, what do I see in this passage? What is, what is true gospel community supposed to bring? Not only spiritual growth, but real relationships. Do you see it in verse 42? They continued in breaking of bread. There's something about welcoming someone into your home, or someone welcoming you into their home, and sitting down and breaking bread. And again, for us, breaking bread can be McDonald's drive through In their society, breaking bread was ours, sitting around a table, growing. What were they doing immediately when they got saved and plugged into their, their church? They were growing in real relationships. Look at verse 44. And all that believe were together and had all things common. They said, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. They, 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 verse 46. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Daily they were worshiping. Daily they were communicating. Daily they were praying. They were texting each other, sharing a Bible verse. Let's meet for coffee. Let's have this prayer time. Come over to the house. Let's do this. This was the model. Is it any wonder that in the book of Acts the church exploded? They weren't all living there, and I'm not talking about a socialist society, I'm not talking about a communist society, I'm talking about a gospel community where we are living for one another. Real relationships. The people we call at midnight when we have an emergency or need prayer, fellowship, breaking of bread, the people that celebrate our big events in life, some of our closest friends in the world should be part of our Christian community. The Bible says, weep with them that weep, and rejoice with them that rejoice, and, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. How can you weep with them that weep, and rejoice with them that rejoice if you don't know anybody, and you don't know what's happening in their life? To laugh together is God's plan, to cry together, to pray together, to help one another. Number three, we see here, unfor what happens in gospel community, unforced generosity. We look, you see it there, they looked as every man had need. How can I help them? Why? Because I love them. This is my family. That, that family over there struggling, hey, let's take a special offering and help them out. They did that for the Church of Jerusalem, didn't they? That, that family over there, they're in the hospital, let's bring them some meals. They're, they're pretty wiped out. That family over there has that going on, let's reach out, let's get together and pray. That unforced generosity. 
We drop off groceries to a young family that might be struggling. We slip a gift card to that single person who's struggling to make ends meet here in Orange County. We babysit for that single parent so he or she can have a few hours to themselves. We help that unemployed friend with a job lead. Verse 44 and 45, they they, they had all things common and they sold their possessions and parted them to all men as every man had need. Again, not socialism, generosity. What did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? He said, I want to go to heaven. How do I enter the kingdom? What did he tell the rich young ruler? Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What was he saying? One, he was identifying the fact that the rich young ruler actually valued what he had more than a relationship with God. He was pointing that out. But he was showing that one of the effects of receiving the unsearchable riches of the gospel is that now we're very loose-handed with what God's given us to help others, to make a difference for others. He wasn't teaching it was wrong to have stuff to the rich young ruler. He was teaching it's wrong if stuff has us. Generosity in the church shouldn't be done out of necessity or manipulation. I actually have members that tell me, you don't talk about finances enough, and I probably should. You don't, I'll go three or four or five weeks without even mentioning the offering, and uh, that's, that's, I get focused on my message and we're going, and I thank God for God's people that are generous to keep the ministry moving forward. But it shouldn't be, well, I give because a pastor told me, if you don't give 10% of your income, your car might break down this week. And so I, oh, I'm so scared what God might do. I better tithe 10% of my income. No, God, it's not, it's not because I have to. It's God. You've blessed me with so much. How much of what you've given me do you want me to give back to make an eternal impact in your world, in your kingdom, and in your church? Generosity shouldn't be done out of necessity or manipulation, but the Bible says, from a cheerful heart. As a man purposeth in his heart, the Bible says, so let him give. When you are connected through the gospel and you truly love God, his people, and his work, it's a joy to give. Number four. Number four, what do we see happens in true gospel community? Deep joy. Verse 46, do you see it? They were breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Look at verse 40, the beginning of uh, 47, praising God. What a great life. What a great life. They had friendship. They had fellowship. They had joy. They had relationships. They had significant meaning, fulfillment. They were growing in God's word together. They had a common purpose and a common cause. That's what God wants for every believer. But we shut everybody out. We slide in, we sit down, we slide out, we never have, invite someone over, a man that has friends, must show himself friendly. We, we don't plug into a group, we don't do these things. Number five, what do I see in this passage? What happens when, there, when there's connection through the gospel? I see a beautiful witness. You see it in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Daily, such as should be saved. A beautiful witness. Remember, back in verses 8 through 12, Peter was speaking in tongues here at Pentecost. And, and what he was doing is not what you might have seen on, a, on maybe a television broadcast somewhere of some gibberish. He was standing up and preaching the gospel in his language, and people that, that did not understand his language were hearing, of, that spoke all different languages, were hearing the gospel in their language. What does that tell us? That tells us that these 3,000 people that were added to that group right there, that were added to the church, if you will, that they came from different backgrounds. 
that they came from different, they spoke different languages, they had different traditions and different cultures, but what happened, the Bible says after that, these people that, that had all these different backgrounds, their unity and their love and their generosity one to another, what does the Bible say? It was a beautiful witness to people who had never heard the truth of Jesus Christ. And they looked and said, they're from that, that, that area, and they're from that city, and they're from that region, and they love one another, and they're, they're pulling for each other, and they're opening their homes, and man, they've got something I don't have. It was, and the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It was a beautiful witness, people getting saved every day. Why? One reason was because of the beautiful gospel community that people saw and wanted to be a part of. If you're angry and bitter and selfish and lonely and gossiping about other Christians, why would anyone want what you have? In the book of Acts, as the church is exploding, every time we see God working in mighty ways, what do we see that precedes it? We see unity. We see one accord. We see they had all things common. What, what do we see every time in the book of Acts that, that precedes an explosion of the church? We see these people loved each other in spite of their differences. And what did it do? It was a beautiful witness to those around them. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Biblical unity is a prerequisite for church health and will always result in the furtherance of the gospel. We'll talk more about that in tonight's message on our Sacred Cows series tonight at 5 o'clock. And then lastly, what do we find in true gospel community? Number six, we find lifelong partnerships. Chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Not a competition, a team, a family, a shared purpose and partnership. As you go through the book of Acts, when one of them gets thrown into prison, where are the rest? Hiding in their own homes in fear, they're all together praying for the one that's in prison. Beautiful, beautiful. They're all together praying for Peter as he's imprisoned. We've turned the church into a consumer relationship. I go with my family to hear my favorite song, get some helpful truths that will enrich my life and make me more successful in business. As I go about building my career and increasing my portfolio and contributing to my success, the church was never supposed to be a consumer transaction that you benefit from. It is supposed to be an authentic community that you belong to and sacrifice for. I want us to ask this morning, has our American individualism and independence snuck into our view of our Christian experience in the body of Christ? What's, what's the analogy that God uses in the New Testament of the church? He calls it, the analogy is a physical body. He says, you're the body of Christ. Read Corinthians. He says, the body of Christ. He uses a physical analogy. If you had a finger that stayed home today, refusing to be a part of your body, what would you think? Or if your foot decided to stay at work and your ear stayed in the car, never uniting with your body or working together, what would happen? Those members would be pretty useless to the purpose and function of the body as a whole, wouldn't they? The body only works when we're all joined together, that's how Paul said it, joined together for the purpose of what God's called us to. So on a review, if you'll commit to faithful involvement in the life of your church as God intended, you'll find, we see in this passage, spiritual growth, real relationships, unforced generosity, deep joy, a beautiful witness to those that don't know Christ, and life-not-long partnerships. By the way, going back to our opening illustration, you'll also you'll also find a great spiritual protection from the adversary, the devil who walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
When you're at your lowest moment, you'll be able to reach out to someone and say, I need your help. Walk with me through this. Help me. Cry with me. Pray with me. That's what God wants. The Christian life is not intended to be lived in isolation. Church family, we need each other. A couple years ago, I read a book entitled Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. It talked about the Jewishness of Jesus that we really don't understand in our American mentality. And it's really, there's a, it's a three-part, a three-book series um, that, uh, that, that was written, um, walking in the steps of Rabbi Jesus, sitting at the feet, and I forget the third one. I read all three of them at that time a couple of years ago. I close my message reading a page from this book for you, talking about how Jesus understood community with his disciples differently than we do today. He said this, or she, they, they, the authors, the, they said this, listen to one author's top four recommendations for developing spiritual discipline. Solitude, silence, fasting, and scripture memorization. By the way, nothing wrong with any of those four things. But here's what these authors said. Even though these disciplines can be helpful, the author leaves something essential off the list. What about community? If the goal of discipleship is to become Christ-like, it's important that we spend time with others learning how to love and be loved and letting our rough edges be sanded away. We need to learn to tolerate each other's flaws and to admit our own so that Christ's Spirit can refine and shape us. Even the extroverts among us don't engage in the kind of community that is necessary for discipleship, they, the author said. And what about those of us who by personality find ourselves attracted to solitary discipleship? Any introverts in the house? You, you, I'm stressing you out talking about community today. That's the last time I'm going to that church. I don't want to talk to anybody, right? Everybody has different personalities. My wife and I were joking about this uh, on Friday. We had, I met with five different uh, school families, had wonderful times there. We were walking out, and my wife said, wow, I'm, that's, that's a lot for me. That's, that's kind of, I'm kind of tired of meeting with people. And she didn't say quite like that, but, and I was like, let's meet with five more. We're just different, right? I heard one pastor say um, that an introvert wakes up after they're replenished and they're rested, and they wake up with a bucket full of, of money. They've got a bucket full of coins. And and an introvert is full and refreshed in the morning, and every interaction they have, they're spending one of those coins. And by the end of the day, they're empty, and they're, they're done. I don't have anything left, and i got to go be by myself and refill it. And the pastor said the extrovert wakes up with an empty bucket, and every interaction they have, it puts money into their bank. It recharges them. And so they're looking for people. We were joking about this in our community group on Wednesday night, the differences of my wife and I. But he says, he says even us extroverts, we don't, we don't do this. He says, for some of us, being alone is an escape from embracing people who annoy or challenge us, but Jesus' words about being present when two or more are gathered in his name should make us think twice, listen to this, should make us think twice about becoming spiritual lone rangers. As Western individualists, we forget what Jesus' reality was like. Just think, most of his ministry was spent living side by side with his faithful Talmudim, or community brotherhood, traveling with them on foot from town to town, camping out everywhere they went. Many an evening would have been spent sharing a meal with strangers who had generously invited them into their homes, as was the custom with visiting rabbis. Even when Jesus made a point of getting away from the clamorous crowds, he usually did so in the company of his disciples. Remarkably, Jesus never sent his students out alone, but always in pairs. He knew their critical need for Havarim. If anything, we see Jesus relishing the company of others. The disciples were surprised, for instance, at the delight he took in little children. 
On one occasion, when they wanted to shoo away the hungry crowd, Jesus multiplied a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish so that everyone could eat dinner together. In fact, his public ministry was initiated in the midst of a party when he turned water into wine at a wedding feast. Following Jesus means sharing our lives in community where the richness of life will unfold. Many of us spend eight hours a day at the office sitting in tomb-like cubicles. What happens when people return home and zone out in front of the television? Podcasts, Xboxes, and satellite channels are poor substitutes for the laughter and love of family and friends. Pastor Robert Stone points out that Americans are some of the loneliest people on the planet, saying that in most societies, people don't experience loneliness as acutely as Americans do. In other cultures, people are rarely alone, physically or emotionally. Relatives, neighbors, and even strangers are a normal part of everyone's life. Not so in America, Stone says. Our individualism and our wealth have allowed us to minimize our contact with others, to our detriment. This problem of friendlessness exists even in our churches. In the friendless American male, Larry Richards is reported as saying that in church we sit together and sing together and greet one another cheerily as we leave at the end of the service. We do all of these things sometimes for years without forming any real personal Christian relationships. Here's what he says. The church therefore becomes a place where Christians live alone together. The church becomes a place where Christians live alone together. Attending church may enable us to hear a great sermon and sing rousing songs, but we are missing out if we are, also not, if we are not also befriending and relating to each other in deeper ways. And I'm done. And so we've been talking about our why and then our how, our purpose, and then our program. Does our program match our purpose? We looked at our calendar as a church leadership team and said, how do we help foster? Here's the thing, we can't force relationships. I can't force Craig to get to know Johnny. I can't force it. I can't force Daniel to get to know Bradley. But we can try to create opportunities. And by the way, don't depend only on the opportunities of the church. You're allowed to invite somebody to get to know them and to go to coffee. And yesterday, about 30 in our hiking group, that started, I think, with, with Joe Silla and, and Marquise and two or three others. Uh, a year or two ago, I think, Joe, you guys just started kind of hiking and texting some people. And then we, I found out about it. We started announcing at church. I think about 30 of you went on a hike yesterday, two or three hours just walking together. And it was that we, we announced it a few weeks ago. It was on our Facebook page. We, we can give opportunities, but you have to decide, am I going to plug in? And you don't have to, by the way, but you're missing out on a whole lot of wonderful things if you don't. And so what do we do? We have community groups and, and our kids point classes and, and our, our um, uh, youth ministry on Wednesday evenings and Tuesday evenings and young adults on Thursday evenings and this morning a men's class at nine and a ladies class at, and we went away a few years ago from one teacher standing up speaking to 40 people to these being more discussion based. Why? We want people to get to know and I've loved watching the last couple of sessions as, I, as I've gotten to know people better and my wife's going out to lunch with uh, a sweet lady that, that, that we met through our school, and then they started coming to our community group. This week, she's getting lunch with somebody, and, and those things, building, starting to build relationships through that. I would encourage you, plug in to one of our weekly groups, and uh, we have different fellowships throughout the year, and sometimes the In-N-Out truck, or Memorial Day barbecue, yesterday the hiking group, uh, two weeks from now, uh, uh, two Sunday nights from now, we'll have home Bible fellowships on Super Bowl Sunday, and homes will be open. Last year, we had 30 or 40 in our home, and a chance for us, a Bible study, uh, a short Bible challenge 
at, uh, at halftime there, but a chance for a few hundred people to gather in different homes. And rather than just sitting here for another hour and a half listening to me yell at you, we get a chance to gather together and laugh together and get to know each other and do those things. You can sign up for that on the app or out in the lobby. And, and our family community group is starting up in March, one Tuesday night a month where families will meet at a different park in Orange County and hopefully foster pa- families that have younger children or whoever just wants to go. We have one-on-one discipleship. We have probably 50, last year I think we had 30 different people meeting every week one-on-one for at least an hour together with another believer. Why? Because we don't have a lot, we have nothing to do and we're just looking for things to fill our calendar? No, because God intended us to connect through the gospel. How's your connection? How are you doing building relationships? How are we doing? Are we just consumers or are we truly a church family, a community? On your own, grab a meal, pray together. This Saturday morning, we're kicking off our monthly new spiritual leadership mentorship meeting at 7.30 a.m. Why? And it's not going to be a large group. It's going to be 10 to 20 men that I'll meet with for about an hour and a half once on a Saturday morning. Why? One of the reasons is to hope develop spiritual leadership in our lives, but another reason is for 15 or 20 men to begin to get to know each other. So when we're struggling in our lives at work, or in our health, or in our marriage, or in child rearing, We have one another that we can sharpen each other, and we can pray for each other, and we can help each other. That's what God wants for the church. We've turned our churches into corporations, and we're not better for it. They should be much more like families and teams than corporations. My challenge to you, know your why. How are you doing? And I know some of you, I know some of your stories. You've connected in a church before, and you got hurt, and so you've put some walls up kind of backed away. I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm not going to let another pastor hurt me like that, or I'm not going to, I'm not, nope, I learned my, I learned my, don't do that to yourself. Open up, connect, and let God use the church to enrich your life. Build those relationships. It's funny. I'll sometimes have people, I had somebody tell me this week, when I came here, Liberty was the friendliest church I've ever been in. I, I've, it's been a life-saving thing in my life. I've, my closest relationships are here. And then sometimes I'll have people tell me, I, I, can't, I can't build any relationships with liberty. I don't understand why all of that. I'm not saying either one is right or wrong. What I am saying is often, he that has friends must show himself friendly. We're gonna get out of a community what we put into it. So I wanna challenge you. Don't just slide in and slide out. Connect through the gospel. Lord, I I pray that these thoughts would have been a challenge to each one of us. And Lord, I thank you in my life that really, God, for the last 34 plus years, most of my closest relationships have been in my local church family, my groomsmen, my best friends, those that I've grown with, those that my mentors have been through my church, through my Christian family. God, I pray that those that don't know that joy or that reality, I pray this message would challenge them to maybe get out of their comfort zone, to maybe challenge themselves in ways that are uncomfortable, to plug in, to invest, to invite somebody into their lives, into their home, into their world. And God, help our church to not just be a religious corporation, a faith-based production, but God, help us to be a family where there's a loving under-shepherd, pastors that serve under the great shepherd and care for the flock and love one another in our times of victory and our times of defeat, our times of rejoicing and our times of weeping. 
And God, may we find, and this church will never be perfect at it, but God, would we grow in this is my prayer. It's why we're here. Help us never lose sight of that. Help us not to become selfish, self-centered, internally focused people, but God, help us to live and have all things common, helping those as every man has need. Looking on the needs of others is my prayer. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.